What's up everyone, Sean Sheehan here on the big McGregor vs. Poirier UFC 264 fight week and as always we have loads of interviews and we have a few uh, bits from all those interviews right here in this video. First of all we are going to speak to and hear from Ariel Hilwani and that full interview is up on our Patreon along with Dan Hardy who we will hear from after that and then Michael Bisping. You can see that full interview uh, on our YouTube but there's a snippet from that uh, in this as well. So a lot of talk about Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. How these three guys, some of the best analysts in all of the sport, think the fight uh, is going to go and more beyond it. Uh, so thank you very much hit subscribe if you would like to do that uh, and enjoy the video the edge wasn't quite there when he was just returning to give someone a shot against him um you want the connor who's scratching and clawing whose back is against the wall who wants to prove people wrong the doubters wrong all that stuff and that's the vibe that i'm getting so i don't expect you know any gifts being exchanged i don't expect pleasantries i don't expect the the hugs and the handshakes and all that stuff and honestly, I think that that's what most people want out of these two. And dare I say, that's what most people want out of Connor and his foe, whether it's Nathan Diaz or, you know, name a guy. So uh, I expect to see that on Thursday and Friday at the weigh-ins before the fight. What's your take? I was going to ask you about the, the whole donation thing. And it's funny because it's like that seemed to spark this third fight off a little bit. And we, I thought there'd be a lot of trash talk after that, but there really hasn't been that much, I suppose, Dustin did an interview this week and he said he kind of put Connor in airplane mode and then Connor said something back so maybe it's starting a little bit but I feel like at the Connor was kind of slighted by the whole donation thing and then Dustin was as well because he didn't want his uh his foundation brought up now what, where, what are your thoughts on that and like how it ended in the end I suppose yeah I mean I guess I mean Dustin has talked about it Connor really hasn't talked about it. I mean because as we said he hasn't really done much uh of any talking leading up to this fight but my read on it was he was uh, bothered that Dustin made it public. I think Dustin was bothered that uh, the wheels weren't in motion as as uh, much as he expected them to be at that point. And so, you know, Dustin uh, put it out there. And I think Connor uh, saw it as sort of like a shot at his credibility, went through with the donation, but obviously didn't go with uh, Dustin's charity. I think Dustin handled it very well in the aftermath saying, look, at the end of the day, someone got money. So that's great. And they weren't going to get money and it was for kids and all that stuff. But at this point, you know, I'd be surprised if it becomes like a big thing. I, I feel like it's kind of, uh, it's kind of past them and um, you know, could be a little bit uncomfortable when we're talking about children mm. and camps and so, you know, like you, you don't want them to be involved. And again, I, I will reiterate, I think, uh, I think Dustin handled it very well. I mean, he could have been really upset. There was a deal, all that stuff. But, you know, I think Connor was also upset that he put the uh, the sort of dirty laundry, if you will, out there. So, I don't know. At this point, it feels like, it feels like an old story, if, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. And I was I was looking at the, the countdown show. And it's funny, I haven't watched the countdown show in a long time, but I was watching this one. And one thing that kind of struck to me is, like, it feels like Dustin Poirier has found reality since the first McGregor fight and that Conor McGregor's kind of lost reality in terms of like just being a normal human being. And how could you not with the amount of celebrity, you know? Right. He was doing his Q&A and he was talking about getting his Lamborghini, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, boat and everything like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, what do you think of that? Like, and I know you're a big one for mindset and the thoughts of it coming into camp, but what do you think of like, first of all, that mindset? And also, have you heard anything from the camps like how, how they're getting on in camp or how the training is going or anything like that? Like we the big talk after McGregor's fight was not only his mentality, but how he would change things up coming into the second yeah. fight. 
Yeah. So, uh, and by the way, I have not even. seen the countdown. Yeah, I have not seen the countdown. It's been a long time since I watched countdown, and it's not because I'm going out of my way. I just feel like it's so formulaic at this point. Um, is is there new? Like, is there a new McGregor interview in there? Uh, not, I wouldn't, not really. There's like, yeah, there's, I think a lot of people are saying, we're saying it to me that the footage of McGregor is like uh, 90 seconds long. It's him yeah. in California, kind of with Peter Queeley and a couple more there, you know, doing like, you know, he puts his legs into ice for a while and that's basically it. And there's a couple of words from my yeah. But what I liked about the Countdown show was that I thought they told the story very well. And I think that okay. was my issue with the Countdown show as well. Like they're, for years there wasn't really that many stories to tell and we kind of knew it already so what's the point of, of watching it but i thought they told this one but yeah we haven't there was almost nothing from mcgregor now okay okay um so going back to your question i mean look it's it's uh you're not going to get a lot of people you know talking smack about their guy leading up to a fight but the 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 general impression that i'm getting is what we were talking about earlier you know locked in no distractions, back to the basics. The same figures are there, the originals from the MMA career, John Kavanaugh, Owen Roddy. But again, you're not hearing much from them. Um, I, I don't believe that his old boxing coach, Phil Sutcliffe, is there. Uh, I don't think they're on bad terms. But I think the big talk was that, you know, that he needed to go away from the boxing uh, training and, and, and the boxing stance, if you will, the traditional stance uh, led to his demise in that second fight. So, you know he's in California. He's been there for quite some time. Prior to that, he was in um, he was in Dubai and uh, obviously going to Las Vegas this week. But you know, there's a part of me that likes the fact that if I'm going to take it from like a Connor fan's perspective, I like the fact that they're not putting too much out there. That there's this mystery. That there's and I and from what I'm hearing, it's not because you know. Let's be honest. They've talked about it in the past. There was some dissension in the past. They weren't all on the same page. There was training going on at weird hours, and there were like two ships in the night, him and the coaches. I have not heard any of that this time. I've heard that everyone's been, you know, in good form um, and uh, in good spirits, <clears throat> but that there's not, you know, it's not like he's putting the the cage up in his backyard and his kids are running around and all that. Like, I feel like he's going back to, you know, old single Connor or, you know, when he was, you know, coming up. I, I still always remember that one quote that he uh, that he told me about leading up to UFC 189, when at the time he thought he was fighting Aldo in July, but it ended up being um, Chad Mendez, when he talked about the fact that Aldo has kids and he doesn't, and how, you know, that's a, that's like a weakness because he's got other things to worry about. I have nothing to worry about. And of course, now he has kids. Of course, not saying that, you know, his losses have anything to do with his family. I think being a, a parent gives you great perspective and balance, and it's only uh, going to lead to good things. But perhaps in his mind, he felt like, okay, let me go back to how it was uh, in the beginning, block everything out, and then we celebrate and we do all our things afterwards. So I'm really curious to see. Like, I, I feel like, you know, actually, someone mentioned this to me, and I haven't gone back and checked. Maybe, you know, you're good with this stuff as well. I was told that there's the same amount of days between Diaz 1 and Diaz 2 as there are between this fight and... Uh, the second fight and the third fight and it it does feel a little bit and of course they didn't you know concoct this it wasn't mm -hmm. done on purpose but it does feel very reminiscent of the con remember leading up to ds2 he did very little media i remember he did like one little media day thing at the gym and that, that was it very very little media so it does feel very reminiscent of course that was five years ago a lot has changed in his life since then so we'll see what happens yeah 100%. uh last couple of things on, on this fight um 
I want to, I want your take on the and I, I want to ask you a couple of questions about yourself as well, obviously, because you're a bit of a story over over the last while as well. So we'll have to do that. What do you reckon about the pay per view estimates for this? Like, I, I feel the the Nate Diaz uh, Israel Adesanya card that came up, they, they said five hundred thousand in America, six hundred thousand worldwide. I actually didn't think that was a great number. I know some people said it was good, but uh, I I feel like people like before uh, what let's say a year ago we were all sitting in our house if the, the two of us were watching we'd both be buying it in america but may, if we weren't maybe we'd be together and maybe two more people buying it so it inflated yeah. the numbers what do you think about these numbers do you think it's going to hit the million is it going to hit the 1.5 million or what's your take on it i think 1000 percent over a million i think as we get to thursday friday you'll see a lot more interest let's be honest not a ton right now but there's also a lot going on in the world of sports right now i mean euro obviously worldwide um that's taking a lot of attention olympics coming up taking a lot of attention nba finals is usually not going on right now here in america that's taking a lot of attention stanley cup finals taking a lot of attention. so there's a lot going on in the world of sports um and it's not usually the case in july uh but i think connor for the foreseeable future is a guaranteed million plus pay-per-view by guy. Uh, I actually thought that the numbers for the June pay-per-view were good. Historically, the June pay-per-view isn't very good. People are saving their money. It's the weather's nicer. There's a lot going on in June in the sports world, all that stuff. Um, and so if you look historically, they don't usually load the deck and the, the numbers usually aren't great. So I thought, you know, for Izzy coming off a loss, Vittori not being the biggest name, Edwards and Diaz didn't have a lot of heat between them. Obviously, the flyweights aren't the biggest names. I actually thought that that was a really good number. If we thought back to like when they they uh, they did the deal with ESPN Plus, and everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, they're just on ESPN Plus pay per view. There's no Direct TV. There's no in demand." Um, I thought that there would be a a much larger grace period in terms of trying to get back to the numbers that they had in their heyday on Direct TV. So I think they're in a really good spot, and I would be shocked if this doesn't do. Uh, at least a million does it get to 1.5 or so i think it depends on how the week goes but honestly that wouldn't surprise me as well he's still such a big deal he's such a big star it feels like everyone is talking about him everyone knows who he is and i think in this particular case because he's coming off that loss and because of the story people want to know can he get back on track can he exact revenge all that stuff so i think they're going to do just fine are you still not doing predictions or can I, can I get a prediction off you? Or how how do you think the fight will go, I suppose, is, is a prediction more than who do you think will win? I wouldn't be surprised if it goes the distance. Oh, yeah? This time, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes the distance. Um but I'm I'm not I'm 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 truly not sitting on the fence. I mean someone I was I was at the pool yesterday and it's very weird. I'm washing my hands and someone just looks at me and goes who do you think is going to win on Saturday? I'm like, excuse me, do I know you? I'm not really sure. Like, no, not even a hello. Um, and what I said to that random person is the same thing I'll say to you. I really, and I, I'm not a big lines guy. Like, I don't like check on them, obsess over them. Mm-hmm. But it feels like a pick 'em. Like, you could sit here and give me the best breakdown ever for why Dustin wins, and I'd be like, yeah, you're right. You could do the same for Connor. I say, yeah, you're right. Of course, they're one one, but two very different fights, different times in their lives. But are, do you disagree? Like, do you feel like there's a, a surefire bed here it feels to me like a toss-up right now uh yeah i, I look i think if if connor has the adjustments to win the fight i think so when dustin Barry won the last fight and i think connor has the adjustments to win the fight well there you go that's a pick and fight straight away there like so right. I, right. I, you'd have to agree like we don't know what's going on in camp i i'm like i look at it and i said after the, the last fight i think he should look at maybe not necessarily training somewhere else but bringing different people in and doing different things uh, maybe he has done that, but I haven't seen it. And without seeing that, like, yeah. uh, I think Parry is probably the pick, but 
if you pick McGregor, I can't say you're wrong because I do think like I think if the old McGregor fights that the you know people say the karate stance, but it's more than that. I think he can win it, but I don't know if he's physically fit enough to do that. Like, how do you manage not going out and expending everything in round one and basing yourself for five rounds? That's like the impossible <laughs> task. Is, is is there any uh, thing you could tell us about how you could possibly do that, or do you just go out and throw everything out there in round one and and see if you win? And if you don't, that's how the you know that's how the cookie crumbles, I suppose. Well, I think he's got two options. You know, I, th I think he can be strategic about it, and I think he can be what you know, pace himself a little more and wait for the finish to present itself more than try and force the point like he did in the second fight. I mean, you know, you look at the first fight, and he wasn't really forcing the point there. He landed, I think he landed, he threw more but landed less strikes. I know that. I mean, I know Poirier's success rate was fifty-two percent, and Poirier and uh, McGregor's was twenty-three percent. So he was throwing a lot of stuff just to kind of posture not really throwing to invest or to really land. And I think that patience pays off for him, especially, you know, if it if it does get back to the, the stall at the end of the first round, at least he knows he's not thrown everything. Uh, and one of the points I make as well is if, if you go back to his UFC debut against uh, Marcus Brimage, he was fresh counter-punching in that fight. And most of the time since he's been pressuring, pushing forward on the front foot, it might be smart to let Poirier do a little bit of work in this fight and let him come to McGregor. Because that, that rear uppercut that he's got, as well as his counter left, they're both dynamite punches, but, but only when he's throwing them on his terms. You know, if he's throwing them under pressure, it's a different thing. I think, like, watching McGregor from, obviously, out, the outside perspective, I think he's changed uh, from that kind of counterpuncher to an aggressive counterpuncher, maybe, to, like, this boxer in the pocket who is aggressive and you know countering when he can as well and it's int i think it's interesting to see which one he comes out as but do you like I, i've speculated a couple of times this week on on the podcast and, and different places that you know if anyone who's seen the documentary has seen the say the knee problems that conor mcgregor has had do you think like his adjustment in style is a function maybe of that or is it a function of going over to boxing maybe falling in love with boxing and falling in love with that way of kind of fighting and maybe getting carried away with that as well a little bit I think a big part of it is that he's found the range where his attributes really work well for him. You know, most of the time when he's stepping in there, he's faster and more powerful than his opponent. So by putting himself into a range where he can, he can, you know, use his speed to get out of the way of their initial attack and utilize their forward movement against them with his counter punches, that that's, that's always a, a more favorable situation for him. You, you think back to the first round of the, the first Nate Diaz fight, he threw a lot of punches that just kind of cuffed him on the side of the head or shoulder. A lot of energy was wasted there. It is much better for him when the person's moving in his direction so he's, so he's landing his shots. And I think a part of the reason why he likes to pressure is because it forces people to throw, to try and keep some space between them. Um, I, I don't think it's, it's the, the best thing to do in a direct attack. And I think, you know, if he is invested heavily in boxing, you know, that would be his, his style in boxing. But in, you know, in MMA, there are, there are other things you have to consider. You know, that's the reason why, I mean, it works so well for Gennady Golovkin. It worked really well for Julio Cesar Chavez. You know, heavy front foot fighters that pressure you to throw and then slip and counter. But in MMA, you, you know, you have to take into, into consideration the low kicks and, you know, the shape of the space that you're working in. It, it changes a lot. Um, and I don't know whether McGregor's maybe lost sight of that or maybe he's just he was just a bit hard-headed in the last fight. I do think we'll see a different version of him this time around, though. I, I want to ask you about those low kicks as well. And I feel like so sometimes like someone comes out and kicks the, 
the, you know kicks the calf and they win the fight no problem but i think a lot of fights we've seen recently um from that uh closer jkc fight i think was one of the first ones and that was probably a few years ago now where one guy is actually like winning the fight if you were to look at the fight like he's pushing forward he's landing the shots but then suddenly he's lost and you could almost say the same for conor mcgregor is i think it's more complicated than that with that fight against poria but and, and there's been loads of fights since who've gone that exact same way one guy's winning 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 and suddenly he gets kicked three or four times in the calf and everything well he's done is over how hard is it for a fighter let's say you're fighting someone you're winning that fight and you realize you've taken one two calf kicks you have to change up a winning game to adjust to be defensive to stop taking those calf kicks how tough is that to do if you're someone say like a mcgregor or anyone fighting against those calf kicks like that i think it's really difficult and i think this is where we're going to start seeing the depth of fighters games in the future because you know i think if if you know in 10 years time you look at a fighter stepping into the octagon and say oh they're orthodox or they're southpaw we're looking at a person that's got half a skill set I think what MMA is proving to us is that both both stances are necessary. Even if you have a preference, you need the option for both. Um, and, you know, the other thing that we know about high-level MMA is that in competitive fights, it's the, the smarter fighter with the ability to adapt that, that usually overcomes. Um, and, and that's, I mean, I can't say we've not seen that from McGregor because we have. I just don't know if he's got the ability to, to adapt his game for someone like Poirier. I think I think his safer route is to bank on his usual game plan, which is the counter left hand, and you know invest in low kicks himself to try and balance the, the battle out. Um, but I, honestly, I think I mean I've been thinking about it quite a lot. I think there's a there's a physiological change in a fighter when they get hit on that tibial nerve. You know that point right under the right at the front side of the calf where you know where people seem to be vulnerable. Um, it's you know a nerve right close to the surface of the skin, and it can be impacted really quickly. And even in a fight, when a fighter doesn't necessarily acknowledge it, there, there looks like there's, there's like a cardiovascular impact for me as well. You know, like they, they kind of look more fatigued and their body looks more drained. And I, I wonder what it actually takes out of an individual because uh, I think it's more than what we anticipate. Um, you know, McGregor's got to have either a counter for it or he's got to use it against Poirier and be more effective with it. I think it's the only way of balancing it out. Um, but we, we will see adaptations. It's just the McGregor... Uh, boxing stance it, it just doesn't suit that uh, that that game plan he, he needs a long left counter to discourage Poirier from throwing it do you think like the early McGregor game plans where there was lots of those you know those big wheel kicks and hook kicks and things like that uh okay I suppose maybe not to land them if they did land all well and good but to kind of keep the person away and keep the the distance and the coming in striking quickly and getting away back out as well it, to me, that looks like the answer for what Poria brought them the first time. Do you think it is as well? I, I certainly think it's the, the more efficient way of him controlling the center. You know, it, it keeps a, a, an air of confusion in his opponent's head because they're not exactly sure what's going on. And they're not, they're not really concerned with the kicks because they can see he's not throwing them with intention. But what they're concerned with is where he's going to land and how he's going to set the left hand up behind it. So people do tend to give space and move back and, you know, work off the fence when he starts doing that. Um, one thing I will say to it, though, is, well, two things. One is uh, the first time he fought Poirier, Poirier landed a good inside low kick when he was throwing his third, you know, back. It was, it was a back kick, his third long-range kick, and took him off his legs. Um, and Dennis Siever did the same thing a couple of times as well. So there is a risk there when he's doing it. Um, but I also think the benefit when he's got that style is that he's light on his lead leg. 
And going back to talking about the calf kick, I think there's a difference when someone's planted heavy on that lead leg when they receive the kick and when they're light on that lead leg. It, it may be why Thai boxers ad adapted to stand heavy on the rear leg. Um, you know, they, they may have had the calf kick introduced 50 years ago and have already worked through that process. Um, but I do think there's something in the leg being heavily weighed on when it's receiving the kick for it, for it to be more damaging. Um, a couple more questions on this. I, I really appreciate the time. We, we talked the last time about the, the southpaw versus southpaw dynamic, and I suppose everything we've kind of talked about here is is intrinsically that because uh, they're both southpaws. But how do you think that worked out? You kind of called it exactly, I suppose, the last time we spoke. Do you think there will be any changes? You know, you said, and I think it's it's a very uh, smart thing. It's like you know, it's like thinking about what where MMA has come from and where it might be going to be like one sided. It's probably only to be half a fighter. It was funny. I was listening to Dustin Poirier. Uh, doing an interview yesterday and he said he's the best switch hitter in MMA that he can hit from both sides and it was uh, a right hand from the orthodox stance that he actually hurt McGregor with more than anything and I think you know that's that's very true I think he did um do you so looking forward to this one do you think it will be a southpaw versus southpaw dynamic again or do you think we will see maybe a bit of switch hitting or a lot more uh, switching between stances in this one I think we'll certainly see more of it from from Poirier. I think I think McGregor. There's going to be pressure on McGregor coming into this one because he, you know, he doesn't want to lose two in a row to Poirier. It, it damages everything that he's doing in his in the rest of his life. You know, his brand would take a hit. So I think he's going to stick to what he knows best, which will be southpaw. I think Poirier has been adapting over the years and has added a really good orthodox game to his to his uh, you know to his arsenal, but. It's, it tends to be much more stepping through to that stance from Southpaw. You know, if you, if you look at the first round of the Max Holloway fight, um, it was a clip I picked out from my breakdown show on BT. He, he throws his rear left hand almost as if it's gonna, he's throwing it with the intention to land, to carry him through to orthodox so he can come over with the right hand power shot. And that's what, you know, that was the thing that really caught Max early in that fight and started his downfall. Um, and that, that's called the Ketchell shift. There was a boxer in the 1930s, Stanley Ketchell, that used that, that step through. What I like about it with Poirier is that he bolts low kicks onto the end of it as well as the overhand. And he also works really well once he's got someone crowded up against the fence. So if he's stepping through and then through and throwing power punches or power low kicks on it, he's going to force somebody up against the fence where then he's got them in that stage where he's trapped them and then he can just he can go to work. And then he doesn't even think about his footwork at that stage. It's so automatic for him because he's, you know, he's a headhunter. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's a secondary thing for him. Stepping through is going to be really good pushing McGregor back because if you stay in one stance, it's so difficult to move backwards in the, in the you know, at speed when someone's chasing you down. And the advantage that Poirier would have is he'd cover more distance stepping through. Uh, another question, and, and uh, I, this is one I probably should have asked earlier, but... The, the lead hand uppercut that McGregor throws sometimes with his right hand, I think people do they call it a ball up punch. James Gallagher threw the same one against Ricky Bandejas. I watched that, right, and he, he, he threw it against um, Eddie Alvarez very, very well and very effectively. But in most fights, when most fighters throw it, I feel like it's a very, very dangerous punch and leaves you, if it lands great and it can have great effect, but it leaves you very, very open. That punch is a punch that's kind of coming into MMA a little bit more. Can you just tell us a little bit about that punch and about like the issues with it, I suppose, more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an effective punch for certain fighters for certain reasons, and I mean, I, I call it like a like a, sh a shovel punch or like a screw punch. You know, it's like it's almost like a, like a screw jab. Some people will use that, and they'll turn as the, as they throw the punch. 
usually what you find that punch works really well for guys that have got a, that are notorious for their rear hand power. You know, so when McGregor uh, throws his left hand, he has the respect of the space in front of him. So people generally don't try and counter it. They'll tend to move away from that left hand, which then allows him to load the lead leg to, to then fire the, you know, the uppercut, uppercut or the shovel punch. Um, the other guy that reminds me all the time is Robbie Lawler. And the reason he's effective with it is because people are afraid of the power in both of his hands. He's either, he's either posturing with the left to throw the lead or he's posturing with the right hook to throw the rear shovel. Um, I think the reason it works well for McGregor is because he commits so much weight to his lead leg when he's throwing his left hand. And I think one of the reasons why it worked against him in the Poirier fight is because that lead leg was already damaged. And there was a lovely combination where Poirier backed up and pointed at him in the, in the first round. And if you watch that combination, McGregor throws a lazy jab, Poirier catches it, he bounces the left hand off the, off the front of his forearm, and then as the lead uppercut comes out, he counters him with a right hook, again, forcing McGregor's weight over onto the leg that's already damaged. Um, so that, that actually worked against him in, in this fight. And th there's more of a vulnerability against other southpaws. One, one of my favorite uses of, of this punch was when he fought Max Holloway. Because he, you know, he's a southpaw, the orthodox in that fight. Holloway was backed up against the fence in an orthodox stance. As McGregor postured his left, he got the reaction out of Max Holloway he wanted, and he slipped to the outside of his lead hand and came up underneath the underneath the front. It's a, a much safer way to deliver it. Whereas obviously with Poirier, he's got the right hook count. Uh, I mean, I've talked about it this at length, but yeah, I got knocked out against Dan Henderson next time. You know, it wasn't until I was in the arena that I realized, you know, that I was kind of nervous because in my mind, last time I stepped in an obstacle with this person, I got put to sleep and the world laughed at me. You know, so that does bring a lot of... Uh, Demons, as you say, uh, and McGregor's never been in this position before, and I don't even think he'll realize what it will do to him. Now, McGregor's very confident. He believes in himself. He's very brash, and I don't think it's an act. That's the way he carries himself. So maybe it won't affect him at all. But maybe when he gets in the locker room and he hears the crowd, the U's and the R's, and people are getting knocked out, and you're in your locker room and people go and buy on stretchers, you know, and the ambulances and the, the, the stitching fighters up and things like that, Maybe, just maybe, that might creep into him. Then, oh crap! Here we are again. Maybe I should have taken a warm-up fight. Maybe I should have, you know, uh, 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 gone to some sports therapy or, or, or sports psychologist or whatever. I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe it won't matter at all. You know, only McGregor can answer those questions. But the reality is, you got to give him his due. You got to give him his credit. It takes a lot of balls to do what he's doing to get knocked out and step right back in there without a tune-up fight. You know, uh, but I do think for those reasons, it does give Poirier an advantage. It's, I think it's a, it's a very interesting one. I was, I was speaking to Dan Hardy earlier on, and we were talking about kind of the, the tactics of the fight. And for, say, a, like a fast twitch round one fighter, let's say, which Conor McGregor has been in the past, comes out and tries <laughs> to land the big shots early. Adjusting to be, say, from a three-round fighter, one-round fighter to a five-round fighter and what it takes. But I want to look kind of at the other side of it. You fought lots of guys like that. You know, we mentioned Dan Henderson, Vitor Belfort, other guys like that. When you're fighting guys like that, what is the approach? Like, is it just the weather, the early storm, maybe try not to take their best shot, bring them into deep waters and, and kind of tire them out? Yeah, I mean, ideally, if you can do that against a guy like a McGregor or a Vito Belfort or those type of people that do typically tire as the fight goes on, yeah, that's always the strategy. Listen, there's no shame 
insane. You know, and I'll say it, McGregor is a round one, round two type of fighter. You get him out of those rounds and the tide turns dramatically. But that's just his makeup. That's who he is. You know, you can't be a sprinter and a marathon runner at the same time. The body just doesn't work like that. So if you're Dustin Poirier, yeah, you want to clinch. You want to take him down. You want to make him grapple up against the fence, fight for underhooks, things like that. Fill the body with uh, uh, oxygen. Fill it with blood, I mean, sorry, and, and tire him out. Work the lungs as well as the, the muscular systems and tire him out, you know. Because we saw even in the second round, McGregor did land some shots, but the pop wasn't there like it was in the first round, you know. So uh, certainly if you're Poirier, you want to clinch, you want to take him down, you want to kick the legs. You want to keep him guessing, you know. That's another thing, another edge that Poirier has in this one. I do believe he is the better round in mixed martial artists. Yes, McGregor's got good jiu-jitsu. Of course, he knows how to wrestle and can defend the takedown. But typically, he's a striker. You know, Poirier can have a multifaceted approach, you know, and that's going to keep McGregor guessing. He's going to think, is he going to shoot? Is he going to kick my calves? Is he going to punch me in the face? What angle is he going to attack me from? Uh, on the flip side, to counter that, McGregor can just go forward and say, I'm not going to give you a chance to plan anything because I'm just going to attack you right from the opening bell and I'm going to look to put you out unconscious within two minutes. And who knows, he might do that. McGregor certainly has the ability. Um, but, the, but there's a risk-reward because if he goes out there and tries to do that and doesn't do it, then he's emptied the tank and he's a sitting duck. So it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating fight. I, I think, yeah, I think it's, that's probably one of the most interesting parts. Like, I think, like, looking at McGregor and the first fight versus the second fighter earlier in his career, the, the amount of movement, the amount of different things he did, and then he got kind of very tired in the first Diaz fight, whether it was a function of that and the change of style or whether it was just like falling in love with boxing, I think it's a very interesting thing to look at and what he does uh, here coming in at, at the weekend. But uh, you mentioned jiu-jitsu and wrestling there. Obviously, you were someone coming from England, like Conor McGregor from Ireland. It feels like anyone on this side of the world is kind of looked at, you know, unless you're from maybe Russia or somewhere like that, as if they can't wrestle and they know jiu-jitsu. We saw McGregor in the first round of that fight. You know, he did pretty well against Poirier. He got his arse to the cage, got his back to the cage and got straight back yep. up. What? How do you rate McGregor's jiu-jitsu when he's, he's wrestling? Is that a thing that you kind of had to get past as well in your career? People just talking nonsense, really, a lot of the time about yeah, the ability yeah. there. No, McGregor has a good ground game. Mm -hmm. he, very, he really does. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of some specific examples where he shows some the good Holloway stuff. Holloway fight and Nate Diaz. The Holloway yeah. fight, yeah, the Nate Diaz fight. I think he hit a sweep, but he got taken down. Mm -hmm. You know, listen... To, to think that he's not preparing for these circumstances or these scenarios is just stupid. You know, he, he is. And I can you can see he has a good ground game. And if you look at Khabib in that first round when Khabib was trying to take him down, he did a very, very good job of fighting off that takedown. The thing about takedowns that makes him really successful is when you surprise your opponent. You know, I think against Khabib, he knew he was going to shoot. So he was waiting for it. Against Poirier, if you boom, 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 you come upstairs with the hands, the hands come up to defend, and then, then you shoot. It's mixing things up, the surprise element that really catches people off guard.